This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, July 16th, 2020, and my guest is the awesome Ben Sin. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hi, Miriam. I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. Yes, it's absolutely a pleasure. You know, one of my fans, our followers, said, hey, I'd like to hear you talk more about like Chinese phones. Would you, would you do that? And I was like, who can I talk about Chinese phones with? And and well, I thought Richard Lai, which I've had on the show recently, and I was like, Ben, Ben would know, right? So that's how I ended up having you on the show this week. Kind of fun. Cool. Thank you. So we kind of want to talk about four phones that we all, well, three that I've reviewed, four that you've reviewed. Um, and I want to start with the Vivo X50 Pro because it's the most intriguing of the four, in my opinion. And okay. it's, you know, we're all kind of photography buffs, you and I, in terms of mobile imaging. And this thing, it just blows my mind, this idea of putting a gimbal instead of a, a an OIS system. Basically, the entire camera is is, is hung uh, by a system. So does it work? Is it worth it? Um, it works to a point. So one of the, basically, the very first thing I did when I got the phone was I grabbed the X50 Pro along with the iPhone 11 Pro and the Google Pixel 4 and the Huawei P40 Pro Plus, and I did a video test where I basically held one phone in each hand and I ran around Hong Kong and walked around, climbed stairs and all that. And what I noticed was that Vivo's gimbal really only kicks in, you only really see the difference when I do something extreme like running or climbing stairs. If I'm just walking um, like at a normal pace, the iPhone mm-hmm. and Huawei's electronic, well, they have OIS and EIS, but the iPhone and Huawei stabilization are just as good as what the Vivo X50 Pro can do. So basically, you can't see the difference until you run or do something like climbing the stairs or something. Interesting. So do you think it's worth it then in the end? Um, I think so because Vivo is not charging us a markup for this. So that's what I wrote in my review. If, if Vivo was charging us a premium for this phone, say if this phone was like $1,000 because of that gimbal camera, then I would say it's not worth it. But Vivo is really charging the exact same price as all other mid-tier phones. I believe it starts around 500 to 600 US dollars around there. So yeah. then I think at that, at that price, um, the gimbal camera is basically a free chance to try new technology. Do you think this is going to stick in the sense that, you know, we saw periscope lenses uh, folded lenses come and they are they are here to stay and we're going to talk about the P40 Pro Plus soon but I think that they've proved their effectiveness at least you know at some tier of of phone level in terms of pricing they're acceptable and do, do you think the gimbal is here to stay do you think we're going to see other companies maybe even beyond BBK Group do this I I think so because uh, Vivo has a tendency to push hardware innovation or something new in hardware um, be, be the first to push it out even if it's not fully ready like i remember vivo first pushed out the in display fingerprint scanner that's about right two and yeah. a half years ago and that very first model on the vivo i forgot the name i believe it was like x21 or something it it didn't work that well but vivo just put it out there just um because it's new innovation but eventually vivo did 
fine-tuned the tech enough that it worked really well by Gen 2. So maybe when Vivo fine-tunes the gimbal camera technology a little bit better, it'll be in a Vivo flagship, maybe like the Vivo Nix 4 or something, where we'll see more, more of a difference. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'd like to see other manufacturers tackle this one because I really feel like I might be wrong, but I f- because I don't really have any hands hands-on time, unlike you. But I feel like this is significant. I feel like this could be a thing that becomes entrenched like the you know folded periscope lens is at the higher end or even at the mid-range or something, you know? Yeah, but, well, the thing is, I think um, even f- phones without like this technology, ha- the top ones anyway, have gotten so good at stabilization. Like the Huawei P40 Pro Plus, has some of the best video stabilization I've seen. I think because Huawei shoots with the ultra wide angle camera. Ultra wide, yeah, yeah. And Huawei has a fancy marketing term calls it AIS. I think so. It's like artificial intelligence stabilization, but it does yeah. work really well. So, so on one hand, I admire that Vivo built this new hardware stabilization, but then I also see software stabilization getting better and better by the day. Yeah. For sure. So maybe at some point it'll be redundant. But we said that about OIS for years, you know? Yeah. And look, serious phones still have OIS. Yeah. And, right? and, I, and I just want to clarify, um, so Vivo X50 Pro's gimbal camera system, it actually does work. It's just not as much as maybe marketing would suggest. So, you know, you're not going to see the difference under most shooting situations. But if you do have to run, then you'll see the difference. Right. Um, what about the rest of the phone? Because obviously, you know, everybody's looking at this gimbal going, oh, X50 Pro, one trick pony. Is is there more to this? Like, is the pricing, you know, is pretty aggressive. Uh, it's a Snapdragon 765, right? Yeah, 765G. Right. So 5G phone. And in terms of the rest of it, like, did you enjoy it? Was it good? Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, I think Vivo and, to be honest, other BBK brands have gotten really, really good at making mid-tier phones. So meaning their phones that are in that 500, 600 range tend to be almost as good as anything costs that costs $1,000. So with the X50 Pro, you get a curved 90 hertz OLED panel. So it's a nice looking panel. Craftsmanship is really nice. It cur- the screen blends into the chassis seamlessly. The back is matte glass, and it's one of the nice. lightest, one of the lightest and thinnest phones I've tested this year. I think it only measures a little bit under eight millimeter. Vivo's calling it the thinnest five G phone on the market. I'm not sure. Like I, I haven't tested enough to to say that's true or not. But it is one of the lightest phones I've handled. It's interesting that they went with this gimbal tech, and yet they still managed to make it thin, right? Yeah. Wow. Kudos to them. I just love how much innovation is coming out of China in terms of hardware. Like everyone else, everything that you see on a Samsung phone or an iPhone, right? It started somewhere with either BBK or Xiaomi, it feels like to me, or Huawei, right? Yeah. Like that's that's at least for the last five years, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, and the value factor is amazing. And, and that's one of the things because, you know, in the US, you don't have access to the Chinese phones. So what's considered mid-range in the U.S., like the Motorola's and the Samsung A51s? We don't really have mid-range proper, you know? That's the thing. Yeah, but so but anyway, what's considered mid-range in the U.S., they, they wouldn't even, like, they would not be sold in Asia because it, they, they wouldn't be a good deal because the mid-ranges here are, are really good, like almost like 95% as good as, say, a Snapdragon A65 phone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I recently played with the... Um the Redmi 
Note 9 Pro Max, mm. which is a 200 US dollar, 180 euro uh, phone, and it blew me away, Ben, for what you got for the money. Snapdragon 720G. Yeah. And it has, you know, an IPS panel, but with a hole punch, and it has a fingerprint sensor on the side because of that. But honestly, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, quad camera in the rear that don't suck. One is a 64 megapixel, the main one. The whole thing is incredible for 200 bucks. Like, I, I just, like, it does, it beats anything you can buy in the US for even three or $400. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we're going to talk a little more about Xiaomi in a minute with Poco, but, um, any, any wrapping up thoughts on the X50 Pro? There is an entire series of X50. Obviously, you only played with the 50 Pro, right? Yeah, I, I've only played with the Pro. That's the one the company is marketing because that's the one with the gimbal camera. Ironically, there's a higher-end model, X50 Pro Plus. That one actually does not have the gimbal camera. Huh, interesting. Yeah, because that one uses uh, Samsung's new 50 megapixel camera lens and Vivo's engineer says that lens is too heavy and thick to put on a gimbal. Ah. I'm actually thinking of checking that out because they're selling it in Hong Kong. So I might go pick one up just to see uh, the new camera lens from Samsung. But I, it's funny that that's the higher end model, but it loses the gimbal camera. Huh, interesting. But uh, overall, you think this is a this is a nice phone, a nice device from from Vivo. Interesting, innovative, and good all around, right? Yes, definitely. And and I think at this price point, it's really hard to find faults with the with the, any part of the phone. Cool. Well, I'll link to your YouTube video uh, along with all the other phones that we're going to discuss. Um, we're all going to be linking to all your content, so people can check it out. Oh, before we go away from Vivo, I wanted to quickly mention that on Thursday in North America, Vivo announced that the X50 Pro is going to be coming, launching globally. So that's also another thing to look forward to, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll uh, link to a, a story from The Verge that kind of covers this in a, more, a little bit more detail. But basically, we can expect this to potentially come to North America, but at least Europe and other parts of of the world that don't necessarily get all of Vivo's products all the time. So that's kind of exciting. Um, actually, I believe Richard Lai, because we were in a Q&A session with Vivo, I believe Richard Lai asked about US and it doesn't seem like the US is happening. <laughs> so the, the launch will cover uh, Europe and Southeast Asia and India. Okay, yeah, India for sure. Yeah. This is, sounds like a perfect phone for India in terms of spec sheet, you know? Yeah. And, and we're going to talk more about that. And there's a lot of this good discussion to be had because we need to talk about the OnePlus Nord a little later on in the show. More and more stuff trickling out for this for this phone. So the next phone I want to discuss and review with you really quickly, and, and I have some input on this one because I have it, is the Sony Xperia 1 Mark II or 1-2, whichever way you want to say it. You've reviewed it. You've, you've got, you know, video, but you also have a story just like the X50 Pro. And... You know, I'm in, about to publish my review on hothardware.com. So I loved your your title, like your headline. It's like <laughs> it's it's like driving stick, right? Yeah. And you know, I I 100% agree. I've I've had a discussion online with again one of my followers slash fans about this phone. Actually, it was on Instagram, and you know they like you. This phone doesn't bring anything to the table in terms of imaging. It's it's not even as good as an iPhone or a Samsung phone. Because they're apparently reviewing it as well. And I'm like, but you're missing the point. It's 
it's a niche product for someone who doesn't want to have to carry around the alpha camera, the real thing, and has this in their pocket and still has user experience of an alpha camera, right? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a niche product considering that Sony has like 1% market share in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I admire that. I, I think that's what uh, brands that are kind of struggling should do. They should try to differentiate and go like zig where others are zagging instead of just trying to make another glass sandwich phone with a curved OLED screen. You know, that's a little bit, we, we have like 50 of those phones every year. Just do something different. And I admire Sony for that. Yeah, and I don't want to be mean to Sony because I love their history and their background and some of their products, like their alpha cameras. But but I, I mean, who cares if they make money or not on this? Like it, it doesn't matter. They're not they're not ever gonna start making money on phones, right? Yeah. It's like LG in a way. LG sells enough washers and dryers and fridges and TVs that does it really matter if they make money on mobile? I suppose from a business perspective, from a bottom line perspective, it matters. But you know that's why I'm I'm pretty happy with the velvet. I have one. I just got it. I haven't even taken it out of the box. But I'm finally gonna get a chance to play with it. And honestly, I'm happy that they're taking some design risks. Well, I mean they're not really big risks, but they're they're changing things around a little bit. And it's exciting to me because I don't really care how well they do in terms of sales. I want to see LG do cool stuff. You know? Yeah, I agree. And so Sony's doing some cool stuff here. For me. I would say this is the best Sony phone I have used probably ever and definitely in a long, long time. Overall, I feel that it's a solid flagship. It has really great features all around. The only iffy thing, and this is a very US-centric perspective, Ben, I'm sorry, but we don't have 5G support on the Xperia 1 in the US. So if you buy it here, you pay the price, 1200 US dollars, but you can only use 5G when you're traveling abroad. There are no bands compatible with US operators, which I think is a little weird. Yeah, they should have made a US-only version that uses a maybe a lesser chip so you can sell it for a little bit lower price. Like a 765G? Yeah, because part of the reason uh, A65 phones are so expensive is because Qualcomm is forcing people to buy that 5G modem. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like, you know, that's a very U.S. issue. But overall, I actually think the camera is not in the same league as a Huawei or a Pixel. But I think that every now and then it manages to take photos that I think are pretty competitive with the current flagship roster, like so Samsung's and iPhone's, uh, which are the majority of phones in this in my area, in my geography. And of course, I think in Europe possibly as well. So I feel like they, they did okay this time around. But the way it redistinguishes itself, and you'll agree, is, is and again, it's super niche, and I don't expect people to get it or be excited even about it, is, is the manual, the, the pro interfaces, especially the pro camera interface, right? Yeah. So what's been your experience with that? Like, Do you want to share some of the things that you feel they did well and maybe some of the things you feel they didn't do so well? Uh, I really respect Sony's approach because... In my opinion, what they're doing with this camera is kind of going opposite direction of what Apple, Google, and Huawei are doing. Because Apple, Google, Huawei, they're all about computational photography. They're all about right. telling the user, you don't even have to think, just point and click. But with the Sony, they want you to, to act like a real photographer. You have to 
look at the framing and be like, oh, the lighting, it's a backlit situation, so let me dial down the ISO, it'll change the shutter speed. All these things that professional photographers think about, but the casual smartphone user will not. So I admire Sony for going completely in that direction and giving you total control. But to be honest, unless you are a really skilled photographer, for the most part, you can always get a better picture with an iPhone or a Huawei P40 Pro than you could with a Sony Xperia 1 Mark II. Because there's just too many settings to tweak before you can take a photo. For sure. But where's the fun in that, right? That That's the whole point, right? Yeah, so that's why I compare it to driving a stick shift. It's kind of like people who drive sticks still still claim you can see that you can feel the difference so it's needed but at the same time it's a heck a lot more complicated driving stick yeah i'm one of those people i swear by it but i also have a tesla which is not it doesn't have to have a transmission of any kind other than a single gear um so you know it's a bit of both but i feel like i enjoy my my tesla which is kind of like a pixel or huawei does everything instantly yeah. perfectly and i also enjoy you know my cars with manual transmissions i've owned many many over the years um, some fancy ones, some less fancy, and it's always something really special. Like you, you really kind of become one with the machine. And I think that if you are a skilled photographer already, and you're used to using, especially the Alpha series of cameras from Sony, this interface, the, the Pro features, the Pro Camera app that Sony has with the Xperia uh, One Mark II is it, pretty much a really well done replica of their user experience. Yeah, and, and a dedicated shutter button adds to the overall feeling a lot too so i like that totally yeah yeah and i love the um the way the uh ev wheel or the shutter wheel depending on which mode you're in feels like it has the tense right because of the haptic feedback oh yeah like you yeah. can feel it clicking on the screen as you're basically sliding on the dial on the screen it's it's very very well done so there's a lot of really good things there but you're right once you see the results you know every now and then you nail it like a real camera, you're in manual control and you get all the right things and it's just really great. But is it really better than what a Pixel or Huawei P40 or a, you know, or an iPhone or a Galaxy would do? It's hard to tell, right? Like, yeah. if that's what you're looking for, this is, this is not the phone for you. But I think it's, um, it's also really expensive here in the US, $1,200. And it is very premium. Like it's really well made. And I love this 21 to 9 aspect ratio. The display is really gorgeous as well. I think that if you are into consuming content, watching video, uh, listening to music and stuff, um, there's a lot of little things that they've put in, right? Yeah, but I do want to ask, can you see the difference between 4K and, say, just quad HD? No. I cannot. No, so I, I just can't. Think, I just think 4K panel is kind of... It and it's really also kind of cheating because if you count, you know, 4K, it has the, the width pixel count, but it doesn't have the height pixel count of 21 to 9, right? Mm, yeah. It's not like what people think of like as as true 4K or whatever, you know? Yeah. But close enough. I guess technically it is 4K. No, I don't see the difference. I would much prefer a 90 hertz or 120 hertz refresh rate, which they don't have. They're stuck at 60. Thank so, you. Thank you. Because I've been saying right? that and some people disagree with me. They tell me I can see the difference between 4K. I, I just, I don't agree. I, I'd rather have yeah 90 or 120 hertz over res screen resolution. I mean, heck, I'll take 1080p if you can give me 90 hertz yeah. or 120 hertz. 100% every yeah. time. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I get it for this phone. Like, it, you know, they really are targeting like several pillars you know there's like the cinephile yeah, yeah. cinephile there the audiophile the 
gamer and then the your photographer and then the videographer right they they have uh this is not new because they had that on previous experience but they also have a cinema pro app which is like a manual control camera app for video which uh uses some of their professional cine alta color science uh, like the the venice color science which i think is gorgeous and if you're into shooting video this gives you like manual control of a lot of things and um you know Will it replace your real camera again? No, it won't. But at the same time, it gives you some flexibility that I think the only other company that come close to that in manual kind of video controls is LG, right? Yeah, LG's manual video mode is really good, actually. Yeah. So that's the Xperia 1 Mark II. And I don't think I can recommend that phone to too many people, especially with the lack of 5G in the US, especially at 1200 US dollars. But damn, it is a great phone. And if you love photography, it is a really interesting phone. And f- more importantly, it's the best phone Sony's I think, has ever made, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, can you remember a Sony phone that hit all the right notes like that? The Xperia 1 and Xperia 5 came close, but they didn't have a headphone jack. This has a headphone jack. And I feel like this 20 frame per second stills photography where it does face and eye autofocus in real time 60 times per second for 20 frame per second shooting is is unmatched on any other phone. Like that's something straight out of the alpha cameras, right? Yeah, yeah that feature was pretty cool. It, it actually works really well too, which has really surprised me. I was like, wow. Like the, the autofocus system on that phone is pretty intense. It's dual pixel PDAF, a phase detect autofocus. Plus it's got like a time of flight sensor uh, that they actually use as a, as a autofocus rangefinder. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, there's this all kinds of little stuff like that I feel is really unique. And it's a pretty thin phone too, considering what they've managed to pack in it. So yeah. Any final words on that? Uh, no, not much other than I admire that Sony's trying to do something unique and, and basically go in its own direction. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a good way to put it. So the next phone we want to talk about that we both have had time with, and you again have a review, and I'll put the YouTube link to your Xperia review and to this phone's review. That's the P40 Pro Plus from Huawei. The one with dual zoom lenses, dual optical zoom, one is a true 10x optical. Yeah. Right? And the other one is a tr- true 3x optical. And then the other two lenses are the ultra wide and regular, and those are identical to the regular P40 Pro. This phone blows my mind. That's all. I mean, the photography on this phone, I feel like we have reached kind of the pinnacle of what mobile can do today. If you had to show somebody and say, which phone is it that defines mobile photography in terms of tech and you know performance and results? This would be the phone, right? Yeah, I mean, in my review, I said that the camera tech is like a generation or half a generation ahead of what everybody else is doing. Like that periscope zoom lens, I guess Samsung may get to it by 2021 or something, but, no, but it's like ahead of what the S20 Ultra can do by far. Well, not by far, by quite a bit. It is incredible because so the regular P40 Pro has, is it a 5X folded lens? Yeah, it's it's a 5X, it's a 5X optical. Optically, it's a 5X folded lens. And the one thing they did that's different uh, that the P40 Pro Plus loses is that on the 
non-plus version that 5X lens has an RYYB sensor behind it. Yeah. So it's very low light sensitive, um, which compensates for the higher f-stop of having a folded lens. And so on the P40 Pro Plus, they remove that sensor and they put a regular RGB 8 megapixel sensor behind both the 3X optical, which is not a folded lens, and behind the 10X optical. And of course, they have OIS, all of these telephotos, uh, they need it. And I'm really still impressed with the low light performance, despite them using essentially a lesser sensor on the P40 Pro Plus. What's been your experience there? Uh, I actually have not tried taking many low-light zoom images with the P40 Pro Plus. That's one area mm -hmm. of testing I forgot to do because I did so to stand the P40 Pro. So I can't really comment, but I'm assuming if it's not using RYYB sensor, then it's going to be slightly inferior in terms of pulling light, but it should still be pretty good, as you, you said. I'm surprised, actually, how I'm not really noticing a huge difference in performance. I haven't pushed it either. Like I haven't like gone in a dark room to see, you know, what I can extract from the darkness. Yeah, I've I've just been blown away by how well the zoom lens work during the day when yes. you have good daylight. Like the it it is unbelievable. I yeah. took a whole bunch of photos this past few days with it. Yeah, like like one of the things I take issue with a lot of tech fandom, or not even just tech fandom, even some of the bloggers is they're very snarky. So whenever when Huawei first introduced this tech a year ago or Oppo they were just saying, who needs to zoom more than 10x? Like, it's dumb. It's like a creeper phone. But there's actually plenty of uses for me to go beyond 10x because maybe in Hong Kong, there's a lot of tall buildings. So I like to shoot stuff from across, like way across the street without needing to cross um, the yeah. street and tall buildings, stuff like that. So I use 20x zoom all the time. So I don't know why people were dismissing that just a year ago. Yeah, I feel that with the, you know, the P40 Pro Plus, you can take photos without any reservations in terms of quality of results up to 30x without batting an eye. Yeah, exactly. Anything under 30x, you can post on Instagram and it will just be a clean shot. If you won't have to you know, explain. It is yeah. so much better than even 30x on the uh, Samsung Galaxy S20 Ultra, which we all know has what, a 4x optical or 5x optical, something like that? Some, I think 5X, I'm, I forgot, something like that. I think that, it's yeah. 5X, and then they use that large uh, sensor, right? They yeah. crop. But honestly, it blows It blows the Galaxy S20 Ultra, like, every time. Like, every time I took a photo with a P40 Pro, it didn't matter which lens I used, I was just like, my mind just went like, oh, my God, this yeah. is insane. And low light in particular. Yeah, and another yeah. thing I love about the P40 Pro Plus and the P40 Pro is... The, the screen curves all four sides. Now, visually, yeah. it doesn't really make a difference, but I, I like how it feels for my finger when I'm swiping up because you're swiping on a sloped, curvy edge instead yeah. of something kind of sharp on many other phones. So it's a nice little design touch. Just the whole phone feels so nice in the hand. And I'm really sad that for whatever, you know, for reasons we won't go into, the software has been compromised. But hardware, it's like the best hardware I've, I've touched this year or for many yeah, years. Yeah, I have to say between the ceramic back, the display quality, the the camera quality, the battery life, the performance of the chipset, which feels so snappy, you know, the 90 hertz refresh. I mean, just the whole thing is just awesome. Like every single thing about that phone just nails it, except <laughs> no Google mobile services, which is, you know, not not essential for everyone. 
I get it. But yeah. it's pretty important, at least to me and to a lot of the people that I know, and a lot of people listen to the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's unfortunate. It's, it's a controversial topic. So, yeah. For sure. I just have to say that I, you know, went into... They sent me the P40 Pro Plus and I sat there for a little while on my desk because I was busy with other things. I was like, I really need to take it for real camera imaging spin. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be good. But, you know, like how much better can it be? And it's not really better than the P40 Pro except at zooming. And when you start zooming with that thing, especially zooming a lot like you like to do. Oh, my God. It is unreal how good this phone is. It just... I was just blown away. And even the rest of the cameras, everything about it is just so sorted out. Like, it really amazes me how well Huawei has worked with Leica to get everything just just right. It's not, and it's a bit of computational and a bit of, you know, brute force amazing hardware. Like, they don't skimp on one or the other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I like about it. Yeah, and and like I said earlier, the stabilization is probably the best I've seen in Android for video stabilization. Yeah, I haven't played too much with video yet, but you're right, because I did zoom and video. Does it actually switch lenses when you zoom in video, or does it crop? No, it's, it switch lenses too. Okay. But um, but wow. my, when, I'm, when I say good stabilization, I just meant standard shooting with the um, ultra-wide. Well, they call it ultra-wide, but Huawei's ultra-wide is not that wide. So that lens, stabilization on it is amazing. I ba- yeah. I I basically used it on a moving boat, and footage came out clear. Like like I mean not clear, uh, fluid like smooth. I'm not like, like shaky. Smooth, yeah, yeah. You couldn't tell you were on a boat. Yeah. Wow, that is impressive. I have to say, you know, I need to take it for a longer spin, uh, especially on the video side. But so far for imaging, for photography, for stills, super good job with all the caveats, of course. Of having a Huawei phone in 2020, yeah, uh, such a such a pain, you know. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Um, the next phone I want to jump into is the Poco F2 Pro. It's a little bit older for you, I know, but for me, it's pretty recent. I just got one, and I just took it for a spin recently, and I'm not blown away by it because I feel like it's a K30 Pro, basically from Redmi, you know. Yeah. I mean, and the price is actually kind of similar as well. Like, I felt like I was expecting it to be more aggressively priced somehow. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's pretty good. In the U.S., it's like, I mean, it's not officially sold here, but it's available through Gearbest, of you know, pseudo-officially. Like, uh, they made it sound like it was available in the U.S. officially because of Gearbest. Mm. But that's a little bit of a stretch, right? Because yeah. it's a single importer. Um, but you can buy the Poco F2 Pro from... Uh, gear best and it's about 550 us dollars or so yeah which is a good deal for snap around 865 phone no doubt but i don't feel like you know it's compared to the f1 which was so amazingly cheap for what it brought to the table you know this feels like i feel like vivo with their iq brand is it is, it, is that how you say it iq iq iqoo actually you, you spell it out. Okay. So yeah. with the IQO brand, I feel like Vivo has some Snapdragon 865 phones that are even cheaper than that, don't they? Yeah, but, but they're only selling those in China. So if they sell that in Europe, it would be marked up too. Basically, for, for whatever reason, um, phones are always going to be cheaper when they sell them in, in Asia or in right. China than in 
Europe. I think Europe just gets subsidized through services, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. So, so for example, even the the Huawei P40 Pro Plus, which is really expensive in Europe at like one thousand four hundred euro or something, you can get yeah. it in China for equivalent of about one thousand one hundred US dollars. So that's like almost four hundred US dollars cheaper than what wow. someone in Germany would pay. Yeah. So I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a lovely phone. If you're looking for the one of the cheapest Snapdragon 865 phones on the market, it hits all those marks. I can't really tell, but is it made of plastic or is it made of glass and aluminum? No, it's it's actually glass, but you're right. The back feels kind of plasticky, but it is glass, uh, Gorilla Glass even. And at least so according it's to what actually they yeah. better than the, the Poco F1 was, which was all plastic. And of course, a lot more expensive, but you know, it, it has a pop-up camera, which looks like it was taken straight out of last year's k20 series yeah. from redmi i i do like it because it is one of the few phones this year to have a completely uninterrupted You're display right. no hole punch no notch but you know same with the sony xperia one mark ii although you still have a little bit of bezel top and bottom because yeah. of it right yeah yeah you're right that is true it's, there's less and less phones now that don't have punch holes or notches and so this is standing out a little bit but it's interesting to me because i i have a k20 pro from last year and the i think the camera the motorized camera pod is identical like it looks just like a the same uh, the display is lovely it's AMOLED. It's got in-display in fingerprint sensor. Of course, Snapdragon 865. It does not seem to support 5G bands in the US, though. I've tried with AT&T and T-Mobile, and so far, no luck. Like the Mi 10, by the way. I have a Mi 10, mm. and it doesn't do 5G in the US, even though it's a Snapdragon 865 phone. That's a bit of a miss, I think, if you are shopping for this phone here on this market. But the cameras are solid. I feel like, you know, there's no OIS on the main lens. That's you know, given at that price point. But I feel that like the K20 last year, the K30, this is essentially the K30 Pro. The K20 Pro took really good photos last year, I felt, for the money. And I think in general, Xiaomi is really nailing cameras lately. Has this been your experience too? Yeah, I, I really like the Mi 10 Pro. I used the Mi 10 Pro as my main phone for over a month. And this is this is when I had several other phones that I could use. I chose the Mi 10 Pro because I really like the camera and the overall build of the Mi 10 Pro. Yeah. So how do you feel? Do you feel that the Poco F2 Pro camera lives up to that? I mean, it obviously is a bit lesser, right? Because it doesn't have OIS on the main sensor and it doesn't have that 108 megapixel sensor. So how do you feel like the F2 Pro compares, you know, versus the, the Mi 10 Pro that you're familiar with? I think factoring the price difference because the mi 10 pro is relatively expensive i think the poco ft pro is a much better buy for for say just an average consumer who may not be too picky about stuff like ip water resistant rating and wireless charging stuff like that yeah it does have a headphone jack and it does have a large battery in it so that's actually a pretty yeah. nice thing to so, have so the only thing that bugs me about the poco is that it only has a 60 hertz panel because yeah. you know, other Chinese brands like Realme are giving you 90 hertz at that same four or $500-ish price range. It's true. And, and there's no telephoto zoom lens, so that means any zoom is all digital. Yeah, it's a 64 megapixel sensor and it, it crops and you can tell it doesn't look good at all. But again, you know, that's I can kind of live without the telephoto at that price point I mean, there's a headphone jack, which I think is great. And as you said, this uninterrupted display, so that's that's nice. 
I mean, I think it's a good phone. I just think um, Chinese brands have pushed the bar so high in terms of what we expect. I mean, to be honest, if Samsung put this out in the U.S., people will go gaga oh for it. Yeah. It'll be like Snapdragon A65 for 500 yeah. bucks. It's just that we expect more from Chinese brands. Well, I think also Xiaomi, you know, kind of was kind of the leader, it seemed, in terms of value. And I feel like they're not anymore. Like, you know, when I got the Poco F2 Pro, I thought it had a 90 hertz display. Like, I expected it to have a 90 hertz display. I did not expect OIS, but I did expect a 90 hertz display. And then I went to see the specs sheet and I was like, oh, I was wrong. Wow. I'm surprised. You know what I'm saying? Like it was one of those things where, yeah, yeah, that was, that would have been nice. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, you know, you, you, we were talking about what's missing to me. The telephoto I can live without, but the 90 hertz display, I can't, you know? Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. A telephoto is always nicer than a stupid macro camera that everybody puts on all their phones right now. Hello, Poco F2 Pro. Hello, OnePlus 8, 8 Pro. Uh, has at least the macro built into the ultra wide, which is the way it should be, uh, with an autofocus module. But yeah, it drives me nuts when they do that. But at the same time, I'm willing to accept that for cost cutting measures because it's hard to do a good telephoto with optical stabilization, you know. Mm. So that's my take. But um, yeah, the Poco F2 Pro doesn't feel quite as special to me as the Poco F1 did, and. I think a lot of it is because, as you pointed out, the Chinese competition has kind of caught up or surpassed Xiaomi in terms of value now with the IQO brand and the Realme brands and BBK in general. Even Oppo is making some good stuff at that price point. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Because, for example, that 90 hertz complaint we both have in earlier, the only other brands giving us 90 hertz at a mid-tier price range is BBK. That's it. Samsung's not doing it. Apple's not doing it. You know, so we're only complaining because BBK is giving us 90 hertz at like 450 US dollars. So it's just Chinese yeah. brands are so competitive that they're making things really <laughs> tough for each other, which is good for consumers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so overall, I feel like, you know... If you're looking for the cheapest non-gaming phone, Snapdragon 865, this is your this is your pick. Uh, I reviewed the Red Magic 5G a while back in hot hardware. Check that out. Uh, in the U.S., that's officially sold in the U.S. Ben, and that's 579 U.S. dollars, mm. which is with U.S. band support for 5G, which is pretty impressive. Pretty good bang for the buck, but it's very disappointing in terms of imaging comparatively right so um, i didn't get to test that phone but i wouldn't be surprised yeah like i feel like the poco f2 pro is a much more balanced overall in terms of its spec sheet like it's good at everything it does whereas you know for and it's only 29 dollar difference really between in the u.s between those two phones so that's why i'm comparing them the red magic 5g is still mostly a gaming phone that happens to be flagship spec because it's a gaming phone but then if you want to use the camera, it leaves a lot to be desired. And a lot of it is just software. Like if you install the Google camera app, it's, it's imp things improve drastically. But again, you shouldn't have to, right? Yeah. I think definitely yeah. uh, one advantage of Xiaomi is it's a bigger company, so it manages to, it's, you know, it's spent more resources at building its own camera software. So it, you know, it goes down all the way to its even budget phones. But you know, I feel like there was a time when you got an Oppo phone or you got a, 
you got a Xiaomi phone or you got a OnePlus phone in the earlier days and the camera was, you know, going into it, you were going to be like, this is adequate, but not spectacular and not, you know, doesn't quite manage to reach kind of like the level of acceptance that you want. I feel that's not true anymore. I feel like Vivo, Oppo, OnePlus, Xiaomi, you know, everybody is now making even cheap phones like that Redmi Note 9 Pro Max I mentioned earlier that don't suck at taking photos anymore, you know? Yeah, definitely. Baby, uh, Oppo and Xiaomi have improved by leaps and bounds in imaging, digital imaging. And I feel that even OnePlus, like the, the, the OnePlus 7T, the 7 before that, 7 Pro, um, I feel like all, like since around the time they started using Sony's IMX586, things improved significantly in in OnePlus land. And I wonder how much of that is was cross-technology sharing between them and Oppo and Vivo, you know? Mm, yeah. Because you don't do this stuff alone, as you said. Like, you can't acquire that knowledge and that experience until you iterate and share across a broad range of products, right? Yeah. So, speaking of OnePlus, <laughs> we've got to talk about the latest. This is like the third or fourth episode in a row that OnePlus's marketing machine is doing its magic. Uh, and I mean that in the most positive of ways. I think it's really impressive what OnePlus's PR crew has been able to achieve here and with the OnePlus Nord. Because honestly, we're getting, we're getting to see more and more of this phone every day, it seems. The latest being this week, an exclusive video f- interview with Kalpe by Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD. Uh, I'll link to the video below. We finally got to see the front and the back of the phone, and we finally got to see what we think are earbuds from OnePlus that Kalpe was wearing, and that beautiful shade of blue uh, that I guess is potentially going to be their... Marketing color for the Nord? I don't know. Mm. It's interesting, right? Yeah. I've, I've been following the, the Nord a little bit, not as closely as a lot of other people, um, but it definitely, it's going to be a really good value phone, and OnePlus software is my favorite software on any phone, so it's going to be a great to use, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, I'm super excited about this phone. I'm really bummed it's not coming to North America, to the US. I kind of have this gut feeling this phone is going to be very close match to the OnePlus 8, which is why they don't want to bring it to the U.S. to cannibalize the, the carrier relationship they have. The uh, the OnePlus 8 in the U.S. is sold by T-Mobile and Verizon, and uh, not the, and the 8 Pro. The 8 Pro is only sold by OnePlus Unlocked. But if you want, you can go to a Verizon or T-Mobile store or well, in this, this crazy pandemic time, likely more their website, and buy the phone. And that's a big deal for the U.S. That's a big deal for OnePlus. And I think that my gut tells me this phone, is this Nord is going to be so good that it's going to be so close in goodness to buying a OnePlus 8 that that is one of the reasons that they're not going to bring it to the U.S. That's my gut feeling. I mean, we don't know the price. We don't know anything. I mean, there's been a lot of leaks and rumors on the, the features set and whatever. But it's uh, it's interesting also to hear Carl talk about what are the things that cost money and how you decide what to pick, right? Yeah, yeah. I That was my favorite part of the video, actually. Like, more transparency about, you know, just the inner workings of how, what it takes to build a smartphone. Now, I, don't, yeah. I don't really care about the marketing hype that much, but that was interesting. 
Well, I don't care about the marketing hype either, but I feel like they've done such a good job this time. I do think a lot of tech sites fall for it though. Like, what's the point of running a news post every day on Annoyed just because, oh, they revealed a, a poster, they revealed the earbuds. Like, I'm not excited about the earbuds at all because it's probably just the same as the wireless earbuds from Xiaomi, from Oppo, from Realme, from, from But we Vivo, don't get you those know? here. You see, that's the thing you have to understand that I think for us, U.S. coverage, yeah. a lot of this Nord hype is, is kind of like forbidden fruit. You know, we talked about cars earlier and stick shift, right? Yeah. There's so many great European cars that and Japanese and cars that don't make it to the U.S. Mm. because it, they would never sell, right? People, like, it would just not be cost effective. But we call them forbidden fruit in the car enthusiast world. And it's kind of the same thing. Now that we know in the U.S. that we're not getting the Nord, we're even more excited about it. You know? Okay, that makes sense. And and also, you know, for earbuds, if you look at our choices here, Ben, we can get the Sony noise canceling ones, the your WF one thousand X Mark three or whatever they are. We can get, uh, of course, all the AirPods, AirPods Pro, all the Galaxy Buds, and then you know, there's kind of specialty brands, the companies that have been making Bluetooth earbuds and headphones for a while that are not selling phones, right? Mm, yeah. Whereas when I'm in Hong Kong, you know, I'm always like, oh my God, look, Xiaomi makes true wireless earbuds and Oppo does. And you have so many choices, you know, it's amazing. It's like when I finally got a pair of the uh, Huawei true wireless earbuds, the ones that look like AirPods, you know, that yeah. have noise canceling, they, they, I was blown away. They're, they're so good. They're sound, they sound great. They're affordable. They do a relatively decent job of noise canceling despite not having a seal and stuff. And and I know that I got the Xiaomi ones recently sent to me by PR. I mean, that's why I'm kind of excited about the buds from OnePlus because those probably will make it to the US. It would make sense somehow. Okay. Yeah, it's just a different different market because for me here in Asia, so I just got earbuds from Vivo, from Realme, and from Oppo. And I'm pretty sure the OnePlus earbuds will just be very similar to those. So to me, it's literally just repackaging and rebranding. Right. It's just another... Yeah, exactly. I get it. Totally get it. Yeah. 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 It's it's interesting, you know, because it's like, uh, we don't have quite that variety you guys have. Like, we're kind of stuck, you know? Yeah. And it sucks. I don't... It's A lot of it is dictated by, you know, the way carriers work in, in, in our market and stuff. And of course, you know, the our protectionist crappy regime doesn't help right now but uh you know that's a whole different story but yeah i feel like you guys have so much more choice oh yeah they're called the huawei free buds 3 those are the ones that i reviewed and of course the xiaomi ones i sent they sent me like the whatever the newest ones that they have done that are true wireless yeah they also look like oversized airpod first gen <laughs> yeah know? it's it's crazy how they all look like AirPods. I, I respect Samsung for, for, again, refusing to go that direction. Yeah, and to be frank with you, of all the ones that are relatively easily attainable in the US in terms of finding them in pretty much every store, the uh, Samsung, you know, the Buds Plus are phenomenal all around. Like, I don't say this lightly because I'm a bit of an audiophile. I really, really like them. Like, battery life, sound quality, comfort, general performance and the fact that they just don't look like you know they have their own look right it's it's really it's, i have to give samsung a lot of props on this and in the same way as i still wear a galaxy watch because i really feel short of wearing an apple watch this is one of the best you can buy today mm. you know yeah 
I'm not a fan of Samsung usually though. I don't I'm not really I don't really like their phones, like to be frank. I I think they're good. There's I recommend them. They're solid value in the US at least. But it's like it's kind of like buying a Toyota, you know? It's like it's a safe choice, you know? Mm. So, back to OnePlus, I feel like this Nord thing is hype for us because we're not going to get it. And it's also, you know, for somebody who did PR professionally for a few years, I feel like this PR is magic. Like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not quite sure I'm very happy about the idea that they make these exclusive happens uh, that, that are like a week or two before the actual official reveal, like launch. Mm. I would have liked to see that on day of launch, maybe like, you know, you pick one outlet, you make, whether they're an influencer or an outlet, you make that your exclusive. I mean, obviously no offense to Marquez. I think he does a really good work and, and I'm not upset about things. I'm a small fry. I shouldn't care. Right. But I think it's interesting how OnePlus is handling this whole Nord thing. So, so may, may I ask, um, what, like, how come you, you're not sure about it? Like you, because to me, it's pretty obvious. Marquez is probably the most watched and respected tech YouTuber and he has 11 million subscribers so of course a brand it's not who they picked though I think that's the great choice um it's more the timing like I feel like doing it ahead of time is weird okay like I would like to see it happen on the 21st which is when the reveal is the the launch is happening like have this thing drop when everybody goes on stage you know yeah and and then it's exclusive content that's another thing that Chinese brands are are doing now that they they like to tease the stuff to a point that it kind of ruins it for people who are actually covering it but under embargo like for example opal's 125 watt fast charging they had told me all the information ahead of time so i can cover it when it announces but two days before that they tweeted it out so then every tech site wrote about it that kills any any um like traffic whatever for me to write a long piece because Two days before, you've, it's already on like 100 tech sites. But that's what yeah. they like to do. So, yeah. Well, if it helps, Ben, I'm going to link to your Oppo 125 watt charging story on Forbes directly. <laughs> Thank you. And as you know, my audience is massive, Ben. So <laughs> I expect your numbers to go up. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, I hear you. It's 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 unfortunate. You know, I think, uh, you know, you and I think I have a good example of that. We straddle the line between journalism and influencer, right? Because we both have YouTube channels. My podcast is kind of more of an influencer thing. Mm. But then, you know, I write for you, like you write for, for major publications like I do. And so we're also journalists and we'd be doing it as journalists longer than we have as influencers, right? Mm. So it's it's interesting. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I mean. Like, I feel like it's a bit weird, but I, I, I get it. And I'm not upset at all that Mark, you know, Marquez is the right guy for that. In the same way as they cheese that, uh, you know, Zach at Jerry uh, rig everything is going to be taking apart the, uh, the OnePlus Nord on launch day. So there you go. That makes sense to me too, right? Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I think, I think OnePlus's marketing is genius. Even if other people from maybe traditional outlets may be, may feel offended, like, how come we didn't get coverage? But I think what they're doing is smart. I, I would do the same if I was trying to launch something. Like, just go for the the coolest, most influential uh, YouTubers and let them unveil to the, like, eight-figure subscriber count. Yeah, and that's exactly kind of what Apple did with the Apple Watch. They started changing their the way they reached out to the public, right? Yeah. Through a lot more YouTube creators and influencers. Yeah, I remember right? the iPhone 10. 
there was you know a lot of the more traditional bloggers and newspaper writers they were they were upset because Apple gave access to YouTubers like I just seen before they gave to I don't know like Mac Insider or something and 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 I get why they would be upset but at the same time I totally get from Apple's point of view why they they care that MKBHD gets it before the New York Times. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. It's much more of a broad audience, right? Yeah. And video is such a better I don't know, it's a better platform I feel to reach lots of people quickly. One thing I do want to say and it might be controversial is you know how MKBHD made that video a couple a week ago about can you trust me and he, and he highlights how he doesn't take money to to cover tech and then everyone's just like oh yeah that's why he's so great but he gets exclusive access like that i mean that can compromise right. your your opinions too right if oneplus gives you and only you exclusive access like 10 days before so that in a way is kind of compensation plus all the revenue that your youtube channel makes that your is basically exclusive revenue to you, right? I mean, sure, you don't get exactly. paid directly. Yeah, so I just think people are a little bit too easily like, oh my God, he's so great to say he doesn't take money. I mean, he doesn't need to take money. His YouTube channel ad revenue is enough. Yeah, totally. So there's one thing that kind of stands out for me about this OnePlus Nord reveal. And that's, again, we talked about it about the earbuds. You said, well, I've got the Oppo and the Vivo buds, and so why would I care about the OnePlus buds? Because BBK Group, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you've got a point, because look, I received recently from MediaTek a review unit for the Oppo Reno 3 Pro, not the 5G version. There's two versions, the 4G and a 5G. The 4G is a Helio P95 from MediaTek, and they sent me that because I have never played with a Helio P95 phone and I wanted to try it out. Mm. And it's exclusive to India, at least the model I received. And then there is a 5G version with Snapdragon 765G. And if you look at these two phones, the one that I received and the 5G version that I don't have, but if you look at them on photos, they are an uncanny match in terms of industrial design and screen and dimensions and camera pod and everything with the OnePlus Nord. And that makes sense. BBK Group, you know, is the parent company of OnePlus, Vivo, and Oppo. But it makes me wonder how much we're going to see in terms of similarities, in terms of specs between these two phones, the Reno 3 Pro series, because there's two versions, and the OnePlus Nord. It looks to me like they might be sharing displays at least and potentially some cameras. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me. Like it's cool and I don't think it should bother and stop anyone, but it's interesting to see that maybe the reason OnePlus can do the Nord and, you know, hype it as a sub 500 super awesome mid-range phone is because of this technology sharing, because they have access to Oppo's and Vivo's stuff and vice versa, right? Yeah, I think that's a testament to OnePlus's awesome marketing team because it always blows my mind how OnePlus, everything they do gets all the coverage and all the YouTubers and tech bloggers love it. They're like treating like, oh my God, I'm so excited for OnePlus this, OnePlus that. And meanwhile, Vivo and Oppo are putting out basically giving you the exact same hardware and they get a lot less coverage. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that OnePlus sells in the US, whereas those other two brands do not. But I do think OnePlus's marketing, just they do a good job of coming off like we're like the hip, cool brand, you know? 
Yeah, I think they did that well from day one. I think that's one of their shticks, and I, I like them for it. I feel like, I mean, look, I'll be frank with you, Ben. One of the things I have a really hard time with on Chinese phones, and I don't mean Chinese phone from mainland China. I mean Chinese phones sold globally and to uh, other Asian markets like Hong Kong and Taiwan and stuff, is the software just isn't quite as polished to me as what I get on a OnePlus or on a Moto or on a Pixel or on... You know, there's a few companies out there right now that are like the Xperia 1 Mark II we just talked about. Mm. That has an almost pure build of Android on it. Pure is kind of a loaded word here, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I like that. And maybe it's because I'm not used to being in that in markets where other more skin versions of Android kind of rule the roost. But I feel that that's to me is one of the reasons that a lot of us in the West, at least in Europe and North America, get super excited about OnePlus. Oxygen OS is awesome. Absolutely awesome. I agree with you. Right? I think Oxygen OS personally is my favorite Android skin. I like it even better than the stock Android that runs in Pixels. Yeah, I agree, 100%. <laughs> and I also agree that um, Chinese Android skins, other than OnePlus, the other Chinese Android skins used to be terrible. But I think it's they, much better. They've improved by leaps yeah. and bounds. Like Oppo's Color OS is really oh, good. Oh, Color OS is much, much better. I really yeah. love what I saw on the Oppo Find X2 Pro. I would say Color OS is creeping close to reaching Oxygen OS in terms of my favorite Android skin. Like, it's, it's close. It's getting there. Yeah. But like, it's funny because like this Oppo Reno 3 Pro 4G, the P95 Helio MediaTek version, honestly, it doesn't feel nearly as... It's probably an older version of Color OS because it feels much heavier handed mm. than the uh, Fine X2 Pro that I reviewed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Find X2 Pro is really the first Oppo phone I felt like, my God, finally, software I can live with from Oppo. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, yeah. think ColorOS has improved a lot in the last year. Even a year ago, my reviews, I would criticize it, and now I, I praise it. Yeah, and I think that Xiaomi's gotten way better too. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure about Vivo. Vivo, that's interesting you ask, because Vivo's Android skin used to be probably the worst. Because they did, yeah. this, they did this weird thing where your shortcut toggle buttons that are on notification shade on other Android phones, Vivo we, we used to put it at the bottom via a swipe up. Oh my menu. God, it was so bad. But Vivo has fixed that. The Vivo X50 Pro runs a newest version of FunTouch and it actually resembles more like a traditional Android software. Still not as good as Color OS or Oxygen OS, but it's a lot better than previous FunTouch. So everybody seems to be getting there. What about Meizu? Because I... I reviewed a single Meizu phone once, and oh my god, I felt like I was on an iPhone. Yeah, Meizu software, I am not a fan. There's no app tray, and... Uh, Is it still that bad? They still haven't, like, evolved? Uh, no, because Meizu, unfortunately, maybe... Meizu's a really struggling brand. I'm not even sure if they'll even be around a couple of years from now. Like, the marketing team has shrunk to a point that they don't even have... A couple of years ago, they used to have a marketing person who's a Westerner, so he can kind of proofread some of the content. Now, I don't think they have one because the marketing material is in Chinglish. It's in kind of broken English. <laughs> so that, that's a sign that the budget has gone down a little bit, that like they cannot afford right. to hire like a, like a Western person. But Meizu was such a thing for a while. They, them and Xiaomi would duke it out in terms of like making the cheapest, most feature-packed, Android phone back in the day, remember? Yeah, Chinese 
phones are just too cutthroat. I mean, I did test the latest flagship, the 17, and it's good. Yeah. It's really good hardware, but the software is just not there. And inside the software, again, if you go on the menu, there's like some Chinglish in it. And that's just like a really red oh, flag. Oh, you know what was like that? The Red Magic 5G was like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you're selling this in North America. Like, I think you could have at least like just have somebody proofread it. Like hire someone on, I don't know, TaskRabbit or something, you know, to, to, to do copy editing on your, on your UI strings. I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah, so unfortunately, because I I, I like Meiju's hardware a lot. They they were pioneers of several hardware traits before other brands, but I think they have fallen into a hole, and it's hard to climb out of it once you fall into a hole because it's so competitive. Yeah. Have you played with an IQOO phone at all then? I have. Only the original one, though, so not the, the more recent ones, but the very first one that came out about a year ago, I tested it. But that was the China version, and the software drove me insane. So, yeah. Right, of course. But the hardware was cool, right? Yeah, the hardware was cool, but it's really just like many other Vivo phones, except they added some specific gaming features. But other than that, it's just like a Vivo phone. Interesting. So speaking of BBK Group, since we were talking about OnePlus and and the incredible hype machine that that is, I think part of it for me, you know, is that nobody's managed to make a mid-range phone this exciting in, in forever, right? That is kind of magic to me, you know? We're talking about a $500, sub $500 phone with not fully, you know, blown all the best specs you can get. Yet, everybody's losing their minds about it. And, and it's interesting, Yeah, you know? Well, yeah. well but I, w- I would challenge what you said by, because you're saying... The OnePlus Nord is amazing because it's $500, but then the Poco phone kind of lets you down. The Poco F2, you were disappointed by it, even though it's the same price and it has a better chipset from Qualcomm. It's running the A65. Because I feel, yeah, but I feel that's not just all about the chipset. You know, you need a balance, right? Yeah. It's like the the whole thing, right? I feel like the Poco is a bit weak on the camera front, perhaps, and I feel that maybe OnePlus will beat it there, but I'm not 100% sure. At least having two front-facing shooters on the Nord, which is what it looks like. I presume it has like a wide and a regular or something. That's probably going to be a nice thing to have. And, you know, I feel like OnePlus has been really good at hitting the right balance on their phones lately of that all-around goodness and the software on top of that and that's why i would honestly feel like unless you want to be a gamer or something you absolutely need a 865 i'm not sure the 865 i actually feel frankly ben that the 765 is the chip of 2020 oh i agree i i definitely would if you can offer me like a 765 phone and save 200 bucks off the price, I would take it. I would take a Galaxy Fold 2 with a 765 if it will save me some money. Absolutely. I feel that it's, it just, there's no right or, rhyme or reason for the 865 almost, it feels like to me anymore. And, and I mean, unless you're a gamer or something, but that's like such a thin use case. It's just weird. Oh, man. It's so hard. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think smartphone hardware is just getting so good that increasingly it's just marketing and hype to be honest because i switched back to a, <laughs> i switched back to a galaxy note 10 for a couple of weeks recently and that runs on the a55 and performance to me is exactly the same do i even need an yes. a65 i'll take an a55 no. right now like it's the same thing exactly no i agree yeah. 
And in fact, the 765 is more in common with the 855 than you think. So it's actually a very, very, very good chip. Yeah, so at this point, I care more about um, stuff that I can visually see the difference. Like a 120 panel or 90 hertz panel, definitely I can see that more than a 60. You know, like OLED screen has, a be- has yeah. better colors than an yeah. LCD screen. So stuff like that I care about. If you tell me this one has 865 plus, I don't, I don't think I care that much. I mean, it's nice to have, <laughs> yeah. but okay. Yeah, totally. Uh, you touched on it briefly earlier uh, to wrap things up. The here you talked about Oppo's 125 watt fast charging, mm. and uh, I'll link to your story on Forbes. As I said, uh, what's your take on that? I mean, are they doing like for for SuperVOOC two? They did 65 watt using two cells charged in parallel, right? Yeah. Are they doing four cells charged in parallel now to get 125 watt? Because that's the only way I could see them do that. I think they're doing three. I actually ah. Yeah, I, I actually, when they, when, that's why I was complaining because after they leaked the 125 watt, then I stopped paying attention because then to me, it's already out in the open. There's no need for me to dig deeper. So then I, I believe they're doing three. I read Richard Lai's really good coverage of it. Uh-huh. But I'm, ex- I'm excited because I think Oppo's or OnePlus fast charging tech has been game changing because for me, a lot of times, like in Hong Kong lifestyle is, you know, like you, you just step out of the house to to go eat or do stuff a lot of time because we live in really small places and so we don't stay in that much. So for me, a lot right. of times I'll step out at like 7 p.m. And sometimes my phone will, oh, it's at like 20% battery life. And I like that with a, with a OnePlus or an Oppo, I just plug it in for 10 minutes and that will add enough juice to ensure that it lasts through the night. I cannot say that with an iPhone. Like if I charge it for 10 minutes, it doesn't make much of a difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love it too. And I feel that it's kind of clever how Oppo's been doing SuperVOOC 2 and SuperVOOC. I mean, it's the whole series of it is very interesting. Yeah. And uh, and I, I think it's it's a, definitely something that's worth having. So 125 though is kind of crazy. So it's thir- what, 13, 15 something minutes to charge completely from empty? I, I believe Oppo's Posted the test and it was like 19 minutes because wow, it, it slows down a bit once it gets to yeah, it 90%. has to ramp. It's like, yeah, it's like Tesla cars. It's like you, yeah. the peak is really happening when you're like in the middle of the charge. Yeah, the, right? the peak is crazy. It's gonna be something like, oh, my phone's at 10 percent. You plug it in, you go, you go brush your teeth, you come back out, it's gonna be at like 45 percent. Yeah, like stuff like that. Yeah, after yeah. just like eight minutes, you know, <laughs> crazy, crazy. Well, that's it for the show, I think. Ben, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on social and maybe what publications they can find you on YouTube and all that? Okay, so I review phones for my YouTube channel, which is uh, named Ben's Gadget Review. So that's on YouTube. And I also write review articles and other new stuff for Forbes Asia and also the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. You should read Ben's stuff. It's very interesting. You know, it's a different perspective than ours, and that is always a healthy thing to get a different perspective. And Ben's videos are great. I really get, I, you know, I often live vicariously through you, like the X50 Pro. Yeah, I've been just watching your video content simply because I just can't get anything here, right? So it's pretty, pretty fun. If you like Chinese phones, watch Ben's videos. That's basically what I'm going to say. Thank you so much for supporting my stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you folks know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, but without the vowels. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter with that handle. Twitter is a good place to discuss the podcast. Podcasting platforms don't really support commenting. So if you want to talk about the show, ask me questions, correct me, whatever it might be, just uh, tweet at me, tweet at Ben. I will tweet, of course, about this podcast with Ben's handle in it. And then if you are looking for some visual content to go alongside this audio podcast, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. It's mostly unboxing, some hands-on, some some reviews, but you know, mostly just if I talk about a phone here and you want to see a visual reference, uh, you know, narrated by me, that's the way to go. Uh, finally, of course, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. If you came here for the first time, you want to subscribe, you can do it there. There's an RSS feed. There's ways to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Spotify, to name a few places. If your podcast platform supports uh, rating or reviews, please consider rating or reviewing the show. It really helps me, so I'd appreciate that. The other thing you'll see in the show notes, there'll be a whole bunch of links about all the things we discussed, and there's also going to be a donate link in there. If you want to help the podcast, please consider donating. It's a PayPal link, so check it out. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible Audible.com has been with us since the early days of the show, doing all kinds of great stuff and supporting us. And the reason I bring them up is not just that they're a great audiobook platform, but if you want to get a good deal and also help the podcast at the same time, you should check out this offer. We have a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book at the end and no strings attached. You can leave or stay, whatever. I recommend you try it out because audible.com is a really great audiobook platform. They have an incredible choice of books. I love it. I love the fact that a lot of books are read by the authors. If you, for some reason, like to read, but you can't read. Maybe you're delivering you know, packages all day or something, and you're sick and tired of listening to podcasts and you want something else. Check out Audible. The link is audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. It'll also be in the show notes. That's how you get the special deal, and you help both me and Audible. Uh, thanks for you know considering it, and thanks for Audible for being our longtime sponsor. Ben, thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate you being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We'll definitely have you on again to talk more about the craziness that is the Chinese phone market. It's so fascinating. You know, I just love it. So stay tuned, folks. We'll have another show next week. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.